Volume Four, Chapter Six of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume Four, Chapter Six the situation of celestina was rendered infinitely more uneasy to her by the transactions of the last two or three days and her spirits could no longer support her the certainty of meeting willoughby wherever she went and of meeting him only to be more and more convinced that he had ceased to feel any degree of affection for her made the thoughts of continuing her present mode of life which had any charms in her opinion quite unsupportable to her the conversation about the duel the questions she should be asked and the impertinence she must attend to increased the aversion with which she thought of appearing again in public and she determined at any hazard to propose to lady horotia that she might go into the country and there wait wherever she pleased till she should herself quit london she took therefore the first moment they were alone together to prefer and urge this request and after making some objections which however the altered looks and depressed spirits of celestina very forcibly combated lady horotia consented to her going but as the house of jessie was too near elvestone which it was supposed willoughby and his bride were immediately to go after their marriage it was settled that she would with a maid to attend her go to cheltenham and wait there till lady horotia could leave london which she proposed doing in a fortnight or three weeks at farthest this plan being once arranged celestina was impatient till it was executed and so effectually set about the little preparations she had to make that the next day she left london and for the first time since her quitting the hybrids enjoyed the calm solitude she loved wretched in the meantime was the state of willoughby he went to dine at lord castlenorth's as he had been obliged to promise where a large company were assembled as if to receive him for the first time as the heir and acknowledged son-in-law of lord castlenorth he had however no power to conceal under the common forms of life the misery of his internal feelings his countenance refused to wear the forced smile of complacence his emotion when the duel was talked of and the name of celestina was introduced was evident enough to all but those who did not choose to see it lord castlenorth was indeed never much celebrated for discernment but his lady who highly piqued herself on her sagacity on the facility with which she read characters and penetrated the views of those with whom she conversed 
her blindness therefore was evidently wilful and that of her daughter unless her love or her vanity intercepted her right was equally strange certain it was that they either could not or would not attend to the reluctant melancholy of willoughby under which he with difficulty concealed the bitter agonies of despair and they appeared perfectly satisfied with him and with themselves there was one face however in the circle that though it wore looks of festivity yet was now and then seen to survey willoughby with indignant scorn and then as if checked for indulging it to resume the smile of approbation and complacency captain kavanagh indeed did not very frequently address himself to him but conversed chiefly with the ladies but wherever he did speak to him willoughby himself who had till now very little noticed him could not help remarking that there was something peculiar in his manner when the gentlemen were left together lord castlenorth who could not drink and whose health obliged him to retire early called to his nephew and bade him to take his place this willoughby who had been all day meditating how he might make an early escape was compelled to do though he observed that as captain kavanagh usually took that seat when his lordship retired he wished him then to assume it lord castlenorth however persisted and willoughby willing to get rid of an irksome task as soon as possible made the wine circulate so quickly that as he was never in habits of drinking he soon began to find himself losing his dejection in a kind of bewildering stupor anything seemed better to him than the task of entertaining miss fitzhaman for the rest of the evening and he felt he by degrees ceased to think of her he found some satisfaction in drinking and was very soon completely intoxicated he was no longer capable of judging for himself or he would not have gone upstairs in such a situation he had just recollection enough left to stay without committing any great extravagance while tea was served and then gladly followed a servant who whispered to him that lord castlenorth desired the favour of seeing him in his own apartment thither he staggered with very little consciousness and being seated where his uncle sat opposite to him in a great chair while several parchments lay open on a table he heard but without the least comprehension of what was said a long harangue on fortune and family heraldry and genealogy titles and successions the whole of which concluded by his informing him that the money was ready to pay off all the encumbrances on his estate which was to be immediately done that the settlements were in hand and to be finished in a week and that that day fortnight was fixed for the marriage willoughby between the verbose confusion of his uncle's mode of delivery and his own incapacity of attention heard it all but understood nothing 
he was not however so unconscious of pain and sickness mrs calder who for the greater part of this conversation had sat reading a treatise on bilious concretions on the opposite side of the room with her spectacles on now finding lord castlenorth had done and that willoughby looked very lightly to sink out of his chair very wisely ended this conversation by sending up farnham to his master who had him conveyed home in a chair the next morning he was awakened to a perfect recollection of all that had passed the evening before and became too certain that the means he had taken to obtain a temporary release from his fetters had served only to rivet them more closely alas he remembered too with poignant anguish remembered that so many hours had elapsed since he had written to celestina and that it was now too certain she would not answer his letter and wholly decline seeing him though he had so often determined never to meet her again so often persuaded himself not wish it this cruel conviction of her total estrangement from him seemed to fall as heavily as if he had never dreamed of their separation she might however be out of town she might be engaged something might have prevented her writing to this slender hope he clung for some hours of the morning but it insensibly became fainter as his impatience increased and at length he ordered farnham to find the coachman of lady horotia with whom he was acquainted and try to discover any particulars he could farnham dreading lest his master should discover the imposition he had ventured to practice dared not disobey him he sat out there for for the stables where at that time in the morning he was sure of finding his acquaintance he found him indeed very busy in cleaning with the aid of a postillion and a helper two of his horses which had been poor things he said the first stage to cheltenham with miss de and rebecca the maid that my lady sent with her farnham made him repeat this intelligence to which he added why my lady and all of us be going down to gloucester in about a fortnight that is as soon as young mr thoroughgood is well enough to be moved which the doctor as tends him says will be in that time or less my lady takes his illness sadly to heart and so does miss and went out of town sadly down in the mouth but howsoever tis well twas not worse you know and as he is like to do well there's no great harm and miss will be married all one the mightiest article of this account was remembered by farnham and punctually related by him to his master who now thoroughly convinced that all hope was at end of celestina's retaining for him any affection and a certainty so dreadful the assurance of his being irrevocably engaged and having gone into gloucestershire 
there to wait the recovery of montague thurgood the assurance that he should never see her more all contributed with his excess of the evening before to inflame his blood and by four o'clock he was in a high fever his indisposition was increased by a visit from vassiver who laughed at the vexation and disgust he expressed at what had happened in regard to montague thoroughgood but grew graver when he had heard that far from its having put an end to his pretensions to celestina it had served only to hasten their marriage the wild and ill-founded projects of vassiver to prevent this and to succeed himself which to willoughby would have been equally hateful were but little calculated to appease his agitation and quiet his boiling blood before vassiver went away he became delirious and farnham in a terrible fright went for lady molyneux and a physician lady molyneux was just stepping into her coach when the affrighted face of farnham appeared before her she chid him for the needless alarm he had given her and said that she supposed it was nothing but a little return of the fever her brother was subject to i cannot said she call now but as i come home this evening i will see him the physician for whom farnham then went directly attended and found his patient though not in so high a fever as had seen him before ill enough to require his immediate assistance which he ordered with so happy an effect that in a few hours the delirium entirely subsided and willoughby though extremely languid was at night almost free from his fever lady molyneux who called on him soon after midnight for a few moments again blamed farnham for his officious apprehensions and being well convinced that willoughby would be glad of any excuse to keep him back the preparations which were now going on she endeavoured to persuade him that his illness was very trizzling and taking occasion to talk over what happened at ranelagh told her brother laughingly that she hoped he was now convinced of the attachment being young thoroughgood and miss de moray adding his brother captain thoroughgood who is really an elegant and fashionable man tells me they are to be married the moment montague is able to leave london well well cried willoughby peevishly i know it and i do not desire to hear any more about it i thank you for calling on me but it is very late and my physician desires i will keep myself quiet lady molyneux then withdrew and poor willoughby to whom she had ministered a poison instead of a cordial tried to find that repose which he so greatly wanted but to him his estranged his lost celestina on one hand and on the other his intended bride seemed to cry sleep no more farnham who sat up by him to administer the medicine he was to take 
heard him sigh the greatest part of the night without ceasing and whenever he thought he might venture asked him how he did pry thee farnham said he after two or three of these questions do not ask me how i do how should a man do who is in the situation to envy everybody but the fellow just going to be hanged you know that i am at this moment the most miserable fellow upon earth i am sure i am very sorry to hear it answered his servant but if i might be so bold to speak i should say that i cannot think what cause you can have to be miserable nor he was going on when willoughby eagerly catching aside the curtain said what cause have i not lost an angel and i am not have i not condemned myself to marry a woman i cannot love no never never by heaven to be sure sir said farnham to be crossed in love as i may say is very bad as i have heard tell but in this here matter all things considered i hope your honour's mind will be settled about it and as for the two ladies to be sure beauty is all fancy miss celestina for certain is a fine young lady and so good and gentle to servants that it was always a pleasure to me to hear her speak to me and to wait upon her but then for certain miss fitzhaman though she is higher and more stately as she ought to be being as she is a lady of title and quality is a fine young lady too and a very majestic grand person and then her great riches curse on her riches exclaimed willoughby eh sir said farnham who was not a little slattered by his confidence and was now got into one of his prosing humours eh sir it is very well for young gentlemen to cry curse on this and that and to other but as for riches what can they do without them nobody is not respected the least in the world if they don't make a shoe and a figure and the like of that and can it be done without money no nor not without a pretty deal aunt and for my part i own i don't love to see my master not able to vie with the best lord of the land as to be sure he ought thou art a fool farnham cried willoughby do have done with thy lords of the land and give me twenty drops more of the opiate yes sir said farnham and prepared to obey him but while he was counting out the drops he could not forbear going on one two there are other people sir three four about the lord's house who it's my notion five six seven are not so apt to cry curse money eight nine ten there is captain kavanagh eleven twelve thirteen fourteen captain kavanagh interrupts willoughby 
What of Captain Kavanagh? Nay, sir, only the captain, as far as I can find, don't hate money nor cry, curse it and damn it. He has been long enough living about the world to know that nothing can be without it, and that is all, sir. But that seems to me not to be all, sir. Pray, tell me what Captain Kavanagh has to do with what we are talking of, with Miss Fitzhaman. Lord, nothing, sir, I am sure, that I know of, only, if the young lady was not engaged and in love with you, perhaps, the captain, sir, is reckoned by the woman a very handsome man, sir, and Miss Fitzhaman may think so, as well as another. Why, he is married, you booby. What stuff have you got into your head? And who has been talking to you of him and Miss Fitzhaman? Let him be reckoned as handsome as he will by the women. He can be nothing to Miss Fitzhaman, for I know he has been married some years. A, sir, I dare say that may be, but there is such a thing as being unmarried again. Not that I ever heard, I am sure, much about the captain. Only Justina was laughing one day and laying in her broken English, so that I can't say I quite un right understood her, that if my lord should die and the captain should ever be able to get rid of his wife, she should not be much surprised if he and my lady was to make a match of it, for that never was such a favorite as the captain. I should not be much surprised at that myself, answered Willoughby, for I believe the captain has a good deal of interest there. So then he has been trying to get rid of his wife? Justina told me, sir, one day, as a great secret, that my lord had helped him to money to try at it. But, sir, if Justina should know I ever mentioned it, I should never be able to get word out of her again. I promise thee she never shall. So tell me, Farnham, all thou hast heard from her about Lady Castlenorth and the captain. Why, sir, it was not much, but only Justina was laughing the other day about my lady's having such a great friendship for him and there's no stopping her tongue when she begins. So she told me, Lord, sir, a great many things that were odd enough to be sure, but only ladies of quality, I reckon, don't much care what people says of them. She said that my lady knew well enough that my lord could not hold it long, and that she was providing herself with a handsome young husband and making sure of him as she thought before the old one hobbled off but let her take care said justina that she marries her daughter first or i know what will happen the captain knows well enough that a young woman is better than an old one and besides that such a great fortune as my young lady will have 
is better twenty to one than her mother's jointure this speech at once opened willoughby's eyes as to lady castlenorth's motives for the extreme haste and earnestness she had shown to conclude her daughter's marriage feeling as he did in regard to miss hayman he was sensible neither of jealousy or mortification at the idea of any preference she might entertain for kavanagh but a hope that from this circumstance something might happen to break off the connection for ever between him and his cousin involuntarily arose in his mind in any event it ought to be attended to he bade farnham therefore go the next day and see if he could set justina gossiping again i have a notion farnham said he that you are very much in the good graces of the little neapolitan oh no sir finer fellows than i am have all the chance there and for my part sir i don't much fancy her though she is lively and smart and when i get her by herself will tell the secrets of all the family which thou lovest to hear therefore get her by herself as soon as thou canst and make her tell thee all she knows willoughby then again tried to compose himself and by the help of the medicines he had taken obtained four or five hours sleep he was a great deal better in the morning as he breakfasted a note was brought him from lady castlenorth informing him that his uncle had been seized in the night with a violent return of that asthmatic complaint which so frequently had rendered his stay in england impossible that the spring though far advanced was so cold and wet that there was no chance of his being better while he remained there now and that therefore he had by the advice of his physicians and by his own inclination determined to set out that very day for the continent she added you will come to us of course instantly and if you cannot go with us settle when you will follow us but your uncle wishes you to accompany us this intelligence was to willoughby like a reprieve from what to him was worse than death since the longer he considered of his marriage the more dishonourable now and the more certainly miserable hereafter it appeared to him he wrote a hasty note saying how ill he had been the whole night and how impossible he feared it would be for him to see his uncle that day but that if his physician whom he every moment expected gave him leave to go out he would certainly wait upon him this answer had not been dispatched above an hour and his medical friend had just left him with a strict injunction not to stir out that day when lady castlenorth and mrs calder entered his room so my dear sir cried the former what is to be done lord castlenorth will be wretched to leave you behind and my poor girl too what is this sudden fever you really look ill 
I cannot imagine what is to be done. For my lord to stay, he thinks it death. Willoughby muttered something which he meant should express concern at his uncle's illness, but Mrs. Calder fortunately precluded the necessity of his being very distinct in his hypocrisy by stepping up to him and taking his hand. Come, come, said she, let me feel your pulse. She then, gravely counting its vibrations as she held her stopwatch, said, why really now here is much less fever than i expected from your appearance let us see your tongue humph tis white to be sure where are your medicines i should think if you were well wrapped up and put into a chair you might go to your uncle without any danger on such an emergency you know a little may be hazard no said Lady Castlenorth, by no means, nothing must be hazarded. After all, my lord may make himself easy, as I dare say you will be able to overtake us before we get to Paris, where, if my lord is better, and finds that relief he generally does from a change of air, we will stop till you join us. I think you will be perfectly restored in a week, but, however, I will go myself to Dr. B., and hear what he says. Oh, I can tell you, interrupted Mrs. Calder, that he will be well, perfectly well, in less than a week. I have been tasting his medicines, and in understand clearly from them what Dr. B. thinks of his fever. I was a mere infirmus of that to be assured. Well, said Lady Castlenorth, my dear Willoughby, what shall we say? Willoughby was ready to answer. Nothing more, good madame. But sighing from a sense of pain and restraint, he only replied that he could only say that he was very sorry for his uncle's illness, and that you will hasten after us? That, I think, I may venture to assure your uncle. He was settling this morning that you should be married in the English ambassador's chapel at Paris, and I really don't see myself that, upon the whole, these unlucky illnesses of my lord's and of yours need impede the affair a single hour. All the difference will be that you will be married at Paris instead of London and we will pass the rest of the year in Italy instead of Castlenorth. But the dear young lady, cried Mrs. Calder, our sweet and lovely child, how will she bear even this transient separation? Indeed, I do not know, said Lady Castlenorth, affecting to be quite sympathetic, but she shall come and bring the letter my lord will have directed to be written with his last directions about the deeds and carriages, which our dear George must bring with him, and, added she, smiling, I fancy upon the footing they are now, there will be no great decorum in her coming to his lodgings. Willoughby found immediately his fever returning, and that he should have a terrible headache. He put up his hand to his temples. 
i am obliged to your ladyship said he in a languid voice and i wish this most oppressive headache of mine would what it aches now does it said mrs calder i wish dr b was here i am sure i could give him a hint or two on this case which might be of use to him let us go to him interrupted lady castlenorth and talk to him about this ugly fever and when we have found him it will be time to return to my lord and to send my daughter hither for we think to sleep at rochester to-night willoughby now blessing her for her haste made his compliments in a low voice and still complaining of his head the ladies departed they were no sooner gone than he tried to discover by what means he might best avoid receiving the favour of the visit lady castlenorth had promised him from her daughter he was ashamed of the part he was acting however ill and reluctantly he performed it for the first time in his life his conduct was contrary to his sense of honour and he was conscious although unworthy of him and while he had thus betrayed himself he was become the dupe of lady castlenorth and perhaps was meant to be the dupe of miss fitzhaman and their mutual favourite his pride as well as his rectitude revolted from the idea of carrying on this odious farce which he now wondered what demon had tempted him in the moment of passion and despair to begin and which he however late thought he should now act more honourably in ending at once than in suffering it to proceed another day he was however by no means able to determine at once how he should do this and what he had most immediately to consider was how he should escape the inquiry and ado of the heiress which he might now every moment expect he at great length determined to go to bed and sending again for his physician who was very much his friend acknowledged the truth to him and got an absolute prohibition against his seeing anybody he told farnham therefore that he again felt himself extremely ill and bade him immediately run for dr b fortunately he met him in the next street and in less than ten minutes he had received willoughby's confession that all his illness both before and since his return from abroad has been owing to distress of mind which he could now no longer hope would abate by the necessity he had thought of putting himself under to conceal it in short he owed that his dislike to miss fitzhaman as a wife was unconquerable and that he was determined at all events to break the treaty off however far it had gone and therefore entreated his friend to find some reason for his evading an interview so useless and so irksome when it was impossible for him to continue acting a moment longer the part he had so rashly undertaken 
and yet did not mean and especially in the present condition of his uncle's health abruptly and rudely to it to end it but to soften at least to him a disappointment which he had thus rendered doubly heavy dr b entered at once into his meaning and smiling said it is a little unusual my friend for me to contrive an illness to separate a lady from her lover though i have been often asked to make pretences for bringing them together however the fact is that you really are unfit to entertain the lady for your fever is considerably increased since i saw you this morning and we see very plainly that any agitation is hazardous while you continue in this irritable state i will therefore wait here and see miss fitzhaman myself and so contrive as to bring you off this time and for the future you must manage it yourself i am sure you despise me doctor cried willoughby for the part i have acted in this cursed affair no answered he not exactly so but i own i think you wrong inasmuch as any kind of dissimulation is unworthy of you and above all that which goes to rob a young woman of her heart under false pretenses but i hope i have not done that for upon my honour i should never forgive myself if i had it looks very like it though my friend from your own account of the matter and if it is so you think i ought at all events to marry her indeed i do alas my dear sir said willoughby it is surely better for me even more honourable to decline her hand now than to accept it and make her miserable i don't believe you could make any woman miserable answered dr b because you have good nature honour and generosity but my dear sir i do not mean to play the causist in such an affair and here if i am not mistaken is the lady herself at the door dear doctor cried willoughby have the goodness to go down directly he immediately obeyed and returning in a few moments said well i have sent away the disconsolate fair one broken-hearted for fear of losing her love don't rally me my friend answered willoughby but tell me did my cousin appear very much concerned she endeavoured at least to appear so do you think it was a mere endeavour would you not be mortified now if i said it seemed so to me no upon my honour i might perhaps be mortified to find that i was believed to be an easy subject of imposition but for the rest nothing would be a greater relief to me than to be well assured that the partiality my cousin shrewd for me was either never real or having been so exists no longer i don't know her enough replied dr b nor have i been long enough talking to her now to be a very good judge the honestness of them my friend are not easily understood 
and I am much mistaken if your fair relation comes under that description. I mean, when I say honestness, the most candid, the most sincere. Well, but what do you judge, from her behavior just now, are Miss Fitzhaman's sentiments towards me? She would have me believe, I think, that they are those of great attachment and trembling apprehension for your health. But somehow it was, I fancied, a sort of concern that had more stage effect for its object than real concern ever thinks about, and I do believe that if you do prove a perjured swain after all, the heiress of Castlenorth will not add to the sorrowful catalogue of damsels who have died for love. Willoughby, glad to hear this, now readily promised a ready acquiescence with his friend's orders, which were to keep his mind as quiet as he could, and to see nobody till he had quite conquered his remaining indisposition, and the doctor then took his leave. In less than two hours a large packet came to him from Lord Castlenorth, which Willoughby sent word down to the man who brought it, that he was then too ill to open. On Farnham's delivering this message, the servant said that no answer then was required, for that his lord and lady, their daughter, Mrs. Calder, and Captain Kavanagh, had all departed, with the servants who were immediately about them, the very moment he came away, and were then in two post-coaches and four on their way to Rochester. Willoughby felt for a moment as much relieved by this intelligence as if half his troubles had been removed by their departure. Too soon, however, this temporary respite ended by his recollecting how much he must yet encounter before he could feel himself free, and that whatever freedom he might regain, Celestina would be another's. End of Volume 4, Chapter 6 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.